This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. Series 2 was recorded over the summer of 2017. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome to the second series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast with me, Simon Stevens. The playwright Nick Payne started his professional career in London theatre in one of the most vital and fertile hotbeds of theatrical creativity in the city, working at the National Theatre Bookshop. He started writing at York University, but it was after moving to the city and working in the bookshop that he wrote his first plays, Flowerless and Lay Down Your Cross, enjoyed readings at Soho Theatre and the Royal Court respectively in Switzerland, was produced at the 2008 High Tide Festival. It was 2009 that saw the production at the Bush Theatre of the beautiful and beautifully titled If There Is, I Haven't Found It Yet. I saw the play in its opening production and directed by Josie Rourke, It Broke My Heart. It's a play of real intelligence and real humanity as two brothers struggle to make sense of their differences and make sense of their lives under the shadow of an encroaching ecological catastrophe. How do you live with grace when the world is edging closer to its end? It seemed to be asking and it asked its questions with rigour and compassion. It's a beautiful play and was revived by Michael Longhurst in New York City a couple of years later, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Payne followed, if there is, with his debut production for the Royal Court, Wanderlust, directed by Simon Godwin the following year. He adapted Morris Metterlink's interior for The Gate, wrote one of the 66 books in response to the King James Bible for The Bush, and had his One Day When We Were Young staged at the Payne's Plough Roundabout in its opening season in 2010. But it was 2012's Constellations, again directed by Michael Longhurst and starring Sally Hawkins and Rafe Spall, that really brought Payne to international attention. It charts the simple and moving story of two characters as they meet and fall in love, become a couple and deal with her terminal illness. But the play's genius lies in its continual reinvention as investigating the ideas of a theoretical multiverse. It stops and restarts, positing reimagined possibility after possibility. It is a play that is as funny as it is intelligent as formally bold as it is emotionally truthful. It was produced in the West End and enjoyed a soaring revival on Broadway, again with Gyllenhaal and this time Ruth Wilson. He has performed his own work, the astonishing monologue The Art of Dying, at the Royal Court in 2014, a brave consideration of the nature of our mortality. His plays Elegy and The Same Deep Water as Me. So I'm reunited with Josie Rourke this time at the Donmar Warehouse and his play Incognito, a formerly playful and inventive exploration of the relationship between the human brain and human behaviour, was staged at the High Tide Festival and then at the Bush Theatre. And along with the entire oeuvre of Ali McDowell, marks yet another play that my eldest son Oscar prefers by some distance to anything <laughs> that I've ever written. He's written for television, film, and radio. He's a writer of rare compassion and bond and it is a real pleasure to welcome him here to the Royal Court, Nick Payne. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. How you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> the, um, uh, I, I, I'm in the habit, and this is a habit I will maintain, <clears throat> of uh, starting these interviews with the same question, to, same yeah. first question for everybody, which is, um, when was the first time that you went to the theatre? Oh... It was probably to see a panto 
in either Watford or Milton Keynes when I was a kid. Mm, does that count? Yeah, that Completely counts. Completely it counts, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's what, a very regular answer. Watford and, Palace. And everybody probably. always says, does that count? Yeah. Which is really surprising. Are you from near Watford? I grew up in a village that's sort of equidistant between <clears throat> like Watford, St Albans and Luton. Yeah, right. So what was the village? There wasn't much there in Luton, so it was <laughs> Watford. Uh, it was called Wheat Hampstead. Yeah, it's on, I grew up on the Lower Luton Road, which is basically the road <laughs> that takes you to Luton. Right. Yeah, and was it a prop was it a village village? Is it like an English village? Hmm. Yeah, probably. I mean when I was a teenager they got a sign uh <laughs> it was like <laughs> You know you know, they had they got obviously they got the classic please drive drive carefully. Yeah. But then one year they obviously splashed out and they got like a W, a sort of neon W that they slapped like right in the centre of the village and it had like wheat, like neon wheat coming out of it. <laughs> It, it didn't look great. Yeah, I guess it was a village. It was pretty small. Right. Uh, my mum still lives there, but I, I, I haven't lived there for a long time. Now. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, do you remember what you went to see or anything of the experience of going to the pantomime? Uh, no, not the panto specifically, but I do remember going... Do you remember Button Moon? Yeah, I of went, course. Yeah, I yeah. went to see Button Moon, the live show. Wow. And I saw the Sooty show. And, uh, They're quite young yeah. memories, unless you had a strange adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> this was a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bloody love Sooty. Uh, yeah, I, quite I, I, was quite yeah. I was quite young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went up on stage on the Sooty thing and got a little wow. sort of medal. Yeah. Did you? Do you remember that? Do you remember? I remember that. I don't really remember the narrative <laughs> or the content <laughs> of the, the sort of formal daring of the Sooty show. <laughs> <laughs> but no, a, th- a thing I did see when I was o- older, when I was like, uh, doing my A-levels, yeah. I had really good drama teachers, mm. and one of them knew Glyn Maxwell. Uh, yeah, Glyn Maxwell, Glenn Maxwell poet, yeah. am I? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we went to see a play at the Hen and Chickens, which was the first sort of fringy pub bit of theatre I'd ever been to. And it was, I can't for the life of me remember much about it at all. I think it was about Mary, Queen of Scots. That Glyn had written. Yeah, Glyn yeah. had written, sorry. And because yeah. he knew my drama teacher, after we went to see it, he came in and spoke to us. We Brilliant. Were a group of A-level students. Brilliant. I hope I'm remembering this right. And yeah. so that was the first time I thought, oh, right, someone does that as a job. The, well, ri- the writing bit, yeah. Yeah, was... was, was um, extrapolating from my observation that you mm. weren't quite young to the theatre, mm. if you're going to see... Bottom Moon and Sooty. Mm. Was it uh, your folks who took you? Uh, yeah, my mum, I think. Yeah, and yeah. was it something that continued throughout your adolescence? Did you regularly go with her, or was it was, it was just those and then... It was just those. I, I, I think, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was <Button laughs> Moon, Sooty, Aladdin, and then just, like, a 15-year abstinence or whatever. And then it was just back in. No, I also remember, actually, yeah. going to... We went to something at the National, but we were sat... I think it was GCSE, you know, school, right. one of those school trips, so you yeah. get a coach into London and all that. And uh, But I, I couldn't remember what we saw, but I, I'm pretty certain it was in the Olivier and we were right at the back, yeah. you know. Yeah. And It's quite yeah. interesting growing up in a, in a small village, yeah. uh, especially a kind of constellation village, because, you know, that, that area yeah. does, you know, they are kind of constellations around Watford and St Albans, yeah. but also around London. Yeah. In terms of a young person's relationship to what culture you were kind mm. of engaging with when you were a kid, did you come into London 
or were you was it more kind of like engaging with what was on telly or what was happening in St Albans or what for the books you were reading? I didn't really come into London for culture. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come uh, shopping. I came uh, shopping and boozing and right. Uh, not button moon age. obviously, yeah. when, I was, <laughs> when I was when I was uh, legal age. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did I... No, it was probably telly, and there was a cinema in St Albans, yeah. uh, an Odeon, that now is like a... It's like a, they've really do, it's a sort of independently owned place called the Odyssey. Wow. I went in there uh, a couple of days ago, and it's... Anyway, so, I yeah, I, I really remember going so to the cinema. Finish the story about the Odyssey? Is it completely gentrified and, like, it is 20 it, seats? It, and yeah, it, it's, no, they've kept... It's they, It was, I think, an Art Deco building, yeah. but they've certainly... Whatever they've done to it, it now really looks like an Art Deco wow. building. And they've got one big auditorium. Wow. When I was a kid, it had a couple. Right. There was a bigger one and a smaller one. And right. they got rid of that, and they just got one big one. Beautiful. And, you know, they got, like, tables. And, Great. But I haven't actually seen a film there. Yep. I was just really curious, and I stuck my head in. What were you? What, what do you remember watching as a teenager? Uh, I really remember Batman Returns. That's the one. Because <laughs> my that. son's introduced me to Batman, which is really, really embarrassing. Okay. That's the one with, um, with the Joker played by... Ah, uh, no, this is uh, Joker. The first Joker is yeah. the first Tim Burton one, which is Jack Nicholson. But right. Batman Returns is Danny DeVito as the okay, penguin. Okay, cool, as the penguin. Yeah, and Very Christopher good. Walken. Very good. Just as, like, a villain. And Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. as uh, Catwoman. Yeah. Oh, who wouldn't remember that? It was great. Yeah. And I was too young, I seem to remember that. I think it was a 15. So tr- yeah. snuck in. I remember Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Fucking great. <laughs> It's interesting the presence of Tim Burton. Yeah, I know. I, I really vividly remember Edward Scissorhands. That I hadn't seen anything like that. And again, I think there was. I went. We sort of a bunch of us went. I seem to remember with parents, but I might be misremembering that. And there was a feeling of like, is this going to really freak us out? Is it yeah. going to be too weird? Uh, and I remember seeing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So Danny, is that Danny? That's not Danny. DeVito. That was Rick Moranis. Right, great. Yeah, <laughs> and he just a whole family get shrunk. <laughs> I can't remember. I know it's, it's the kids, definitely, but I think it. But I remember this as a scene where I think maybe one of the kids, or maybe it's Rick Moranis, is on the once he's shrunk is on the back of a bee. And I really loved that. It was like this huge bee. <laughs> I just thought, that's great. Did you, yeah. Were you a big reader as a teenager? A big reader? Yeah. No. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I'm not d- accusing you of shopping. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I read anything. Right. I read comics right. like, occasionally. Right. But I've... Uh, no, I didn't read until school made me read, really. Okay. So, like, yeah, GCSE, when yeah. we had to read poems and that. So so when did you start writing? <laughs> Not until, really, until I was at York, until I was at university. Wow, so yeah. that's quite late. Yeah. Uh, and, that, I mean, I think I was more interested in film originally. Yeah. But when I got to York, if you wanted to join the Films as the Cinematography Society, yeah. I think you had to pay... And then if right. you wanted a camera, you had to pay to rent the camera. Right. I just remember thinking, I, haven't, I don't want to pay. No. <laughs> and the drama society was free. Yeah. And if you wanted to put a play on in the drama barn, yeah. uh, they paid you. They gave you a budget, cash. Yeah, great. Actual cash. Yeah. And I, I, I wrote two plays. One, yeah. you mentioned Flowerless, which yeah. we did in the drama barn. Uh, but, you know, if you bought a couple of chairs and some props, you had 100 quid left. 
<laughs> we just, we just spent it. Well, we took it. We, we got everyone a drink. Like, we, weren't, we weren't monsters. It's interesting uh, because I was talking to... Because uh, York University was where I went. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You went to do English there? I did English, yeah. But uh, not being a reader, why did you do English as a degree? I think I was a bit too scared to do drama, like just drama. Or actually, maybe there wasn't a course at York. I can't really remember. I think I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, right. either at, to study or like in life. Yeah, and English. But you're right. Why on earth did I study English? I'd read, I'd probably read about five books. Right. The ones on the syllabus. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I've no idea why I did that. What, what were the <laughs> subjects that, that you did it? And like, what kind of mm. kid were you? What kind of student were you at school? Were there other subjects that you were really into? I wasn't. When we did our like mock GCSEs, yeah, I did really badly. And that really terrified me because for some reason I had a sense that I did. I sort of didn't want to stay where I'd grown right. up. Not because I didn't like it. I just don't know. In that, yeah. I just didn't want to stay there. Yeah. So I had to really work for my GCSEs and then for my A levels. I likewise I had to revise so hard. The th I suppose the subject I really loved was psychology, and had a really great psychology teacher at A level. Right. I can't remember his name awfully, but he put me onto the man who mistook his wife for a hat. So that. So yeah. I actually I got sort of more into reading bits of non-fiction when right. I was like 17, 18, yeah. fiction. But I remember yeah. stuff like on the syllabus was a bit of Ian McEwan. I feel like Enduring Love was on there. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And there was a Shakespeare and an right. Arthur Miller, actually, View From A Bridge. I really loved that when I read that at A-level. Yeah. Uh, Crucible then, I think. But it was when I got to York that they, they had an amazing library uh, of novels and yeah. novels and all that. But then also they had, they had plays. They just had hundreds of plays. Yeah. And contemporary, really contemporary stuff. And so I found I had loads because I'd had to work so hard to get the grades to get into York. I was really staggered that when I got to York, you had loads of free time. I, I, I thought university would be really hard. Right. And but I did. I didn't think it was as hard as doing A levels. Right. Uh, no, I, I, like, I, I, I never sat an exam. Yeah, I, th I think I probably agree with my memory mm. of my undergraduate degree. Mm. Well, but like you, and I think like Penelope Skinner, mm. who was also at York University. Was she? Yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah. was. The presence of the drama barn, mm. which is this kind of battered old black box mm. studio with like space for about 30 seats on yeah. very uncomfortable benches, yeah. was totally thrilling for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. going back to it as an adult and being astonished by how small it was. Yeah. Because in my imagination, it felt yeah. epic. Yeah. And you wrote for that space, did you? Oh, yeah, I wrote two plays. Yeah, Flower... <laughs> what was Flowerless about? <laughs> <laughs> it was about a particular type of bread. So, it's... it's yeah, it's a flowerless, flowerless chocolate cake. Uh, <laughs> so, I... I try... I think... I didn't go... Once I'd left home to go to university, I didn't go back. And I, and I think one summer, I moved to London... And I did a sort of internship at a production company, a film thing. And it was the classic thing of getting, like, this really scary guy his sandwiches. And I fucked up one day and brought him a sandwich. I can't for the life of me remember that didn't have mayonnaise or did have mayonnaise. And he lost his shit and he sort of screamed at me. I was like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> he's, he's horrible. <laughs> so I quit. 
but like not in a blaze of glory, <laughs> sort of flipping a table and going, go fuck yourself, get your own sandwich, how dare you? <laughs> I just went downstairs and told the woman who'd been looking after me, like, oh, I'm going to leave, he's not very nice. <laughs> and so Flowerless was my attempt to write a play about how horrible London was. So the sort of metaphor of the cake without flour, and so it, 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 it doesn't rise. You can't, I mean, I don't, you know, it doesn't really make sense. I like it yeah, very so much. So it was about a catering student yeah. who, was having a, who was having a hard time of it, trying to bake cakes. So you left. Yeah. So uh, I remember. I remember I went back to York University yeah. because there was a production of my play Christmas yeah, 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 yeah. in the drama barn. Yeah. And when I went back, everybody was saying, "Have you come across Nick Payne? Have mm. you met Nick Payne? Have you?" And th- we did. We oh, meet. Wow. We did. We yeah, met we very did. briefly. Yeah, yeah. You did. You did a sort of Q and A after that's Christmas. Right. Yeah, that's right. But uh, you. Yeah. But by that stage, you. The story that everyone was telling was that you'd, you'd committed to playwriting by the wow. time you left York. Wow. Had you? Was that true? Would you? Maybe. Yeah? I mean, I don't. I think I, th- I thought I'd love to try it, so I knew that I was going to move to London having got my flowerless uh, nastiness out of my system. Yeah. And then, yeah, and I did think, oh, I'll keep writing plays. And I think, actually, yeah, sorry, you said in your... Flowerless, I think, had a reading at Soho. Yeah. 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 I'd forgotten that, yeah. <laughs> uh, with... And they and I thought, this is it. I fucking I've made it. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, come down. We'll do a couple of days. It's like fucking. I've done it. This is it. Uh, and then they did the reading, and it was to a sort of student group of A level students or something like that. So it wasn't it wasn't a, actually a public thing. Hmm. And they did. A, they'd asked me to rewrite the ending before I. I think this is right. Before I went there. Anyway, and then they did a thing where they read the play and the sort of A-level group clapped a bit. And then somebody from Soho said, OK, and now we're going to read you the other ending, the one that we didn't use, and they read this ending. And then they sort of asked the students, like, which they thought was better. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> um, That's pretty good. Which yeah. did they prefer? I can't for the life of me remember. <laughs> did that, that must have punctured your notion that you'd... You'd made it in. Yeah, I think having London a group theory. of A level students <laughs> shit talk your two endings. I was like, oh, this isn't quite the. Gl-. And I brought my mum and dad along. <laughs> and they sort of sauntered in and sat down. And it was just them towards so the back brilliant. and a whole group of A level students. Or, G- or GCSE, or, may- or maybe they were college, I don't know. But, but it was fun. Story. It was really great to meet some actors. Yeah. And they asked you questions and, you know, about things I just never considered. Yeah. Just like, I don't know, any old basic thing, you know, when you don't really know how to write a play, and an actor's yeah. like, oh, so how old is he? Yeah. Like, I don't know, he's, yeah. he's, he's your I, age? I still answer that question, and I still answer that question now, and normally with that answer. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, um, so, um, uh, you didn't act at York University. <laughs> I was in, I was in a production of uh, Gagarin Way. Yeah, Gregory great. Yeah, Berkeley. Greg Burke's brilliant yeah, first play. Really great because yeah. someone dropped out. Great. Uh, playing the guy. Do you remember the guy yeah. who gets kidnapped? Brilliant. But I can't. I can't. I, you know, I wasn't an actor, so I couldn't do the accent work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I sounded like this, trying to do. But the guy who's kidnapped is is sort of. I seem to sort of slightly different from the other guys, and he is. His his accent wasn't quite as kind of hard line as some of so the work some well. of the kidnappers. Yeah, so but it went to the National Student Drama Festival. Oh, cool! And I did a workshop that was run by Chris Thorpe and Alex Chisholm. 
Great. Uh, Chisholm, Chisholm. Yeah. Yeah, who then was at the West Yorkshire Playhouse. Yeah, and that was a really great workshop. And I wrote a tiny play yeah. that was performed by a guy called Tom Bidwell. Do you know him? Who wrote, uh, he wrote My Mad Fat Diary. Right. Uh, yeah, and actually that was probably one of the first bits of writing I did I don't know that felt quite good and I quite enjoyed it was, yeah. t- it was tiny it was like five minutes but yeah. actually I remember that workshop quite vividly and Chris was great uh, and you yeah. went to Central to do an MA yes I playwriting did. MA oh yeah yeah I did I that's did. one of the first time I met you properly I think came, came in to speak to oh, you is that guys. right yeah. yes yeah. Uh, okay the, uh, um, but when did you get your job in the bookshop it was all through that period, yeah. Have so, I exaggerated its place as a kind of like? No, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, so I was ushering at the old Vic. Yeah. And working in the bookshop, and then I think I was just bookshop. I was full time in the bookshop for a yeah. couple of years. No, it was amazing. I mean, I read so many plays, and you got to see everything, and you could, yeah. uh, you could go into tech, what watch bits of that, and then you could sort of go to a preview. Uh, yeah, the previews, I think, were free. They let you in. And everybody who works there, in my experience of it, they're kind of writers or they're actors. Or yeah. They're, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone at the Old Vic, when I was ushering, was an actor, a director, or a writer. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who was there. So, actor called Simon Darwin. Do you right, know yeah. 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 He was working there. Great. Uh, oh, shit. Loads of other great people. And it was similar at the bookshop. Um, yeah, mostly writers in the... Yeah, but it's great. I got to order plays. I just read them and then put them on the shelf. Brilliant. Amazing. That's brilliant. So Obviously, read, they were required You're stock, kind of reading but, every day or something. Yeah, yeah. because you, you said the, the bookshop, I guess it's probably still the same, had to stay open until after the last show Fantastic. because they wanted people to come out and buy some yeah. war horses. Yeah. <laughs> when there was nobody there was nobody in the shop, you were still open for yeah, two it, hours. Yeah, exactly. Hours. Yeah. It was just me and it was just one person if yeah. memory serves and then you'd yeah. lock up and cash up and all that and it was just so yeah, you were just sat there on your own. So I read endlessly. I remember Nick Heitney used to come in every single day and when the evening standard was fifty P and he always paid fifty P for an evening standard. <laughs> and I and I, I, I sort of wanted to go just take it <laughs> And now it's free. <laughs> The, um, I mean, it's really lovely hearing you talk about that time in your life, in your work, mm. where you're doing the course at Central, you're working at the old thing, you've got a couple of readings kicking about, uh, and from the vantage point of your career now, mm. when I think about the equivalent in my career, it feels like a, a kind of really happy apprenticeship. Yeah. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Did it feel like that at the time? Was yeah. it a happy apprenticeship? Or were you just like, why are you doing everybody else's play but not mine? Which is what I was secretly thinking <laughs> when I was managing the bar at the Riverside Studios. <laughs> I think I no, I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that there was no pressure on the writing to be anything other than me writing plays. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Like I, obviously, I wanted them to go on, but I, for some reason, I, because I don't, I, I, I didn't. Other than probably Glyn Maxwell. I didn't know anyone that was a writer or who did it. Right. So I had I had such low expectations of the prospect of doing it for a job. Yeah. That and and so like so many plays got turned down. So I got really used to that. How many did you write before if there is? Well, there was well, yeah, a few which yeah, were lay, the, lay down your cross. Yeah. I wrote when I was doing the young writers program here. Great. Uh, and they did a reading of that. Was that with Leo Butler? 
the first group, the sort of intro group, was yeah. taught by Simon Vinicum and great. Jason Hall. Brilliant. Yeah, they were really Two amazing. Two really brilliant yeah, yeah, teachers yeah. and great yeah. writers. Yeah. They were great. And yeah, and then it was Leo for the sort of subsequent groups. What were your memories of the Young Writers Programme? I thought, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, that was... So again, I was doing that, I think, while I was doing the MA and while I was ushering and working at the bookshop. So, and that, and the Young Writers Group was probably the nearest thing I was doing that felt like you might be able to do this as a job, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. You were in a theatre, you came to a theatre, it was taught by writers. Yeah. It felt like the thing was tangible yeah. and you got a discount in the bar and you got tickets to the shows yeah. all that stuff. And so it was, it was great. Mm. And, and it didn't feel like... Because Central, in truth, a little bit felt like... Uh, what's the right word? It <laughs> <laughs> um, felt like sort of teaching you how to write, right. and it maybe didn't feel that bespoke. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas the writers' groups were, were really... The sort of personality of the writers teaching it really informed the style of the teaching great. and the sort of atmosphere in the groups. And that was really great because they were really... It, it wasn't like, this is how you write a play. Yeah. Uh, you just read plays, you talk about it, and, and everything was kind of fair game. And that felt, m in a way, more productive than the kind of reading screenwriting books or whatever, you know, sure. sort of doing all that stuff through sure. Central at the same time. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many plays... Because I asked this just because I mm. think it's really a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are people who are the equivalent of you mm. when you're doing your MA course mm. or when you're in the Young Writers Programme. Um, and the, the narrative of the first-time playwright who has yeah. a great success can be yeah. profoundly dispiriting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, um, how many plays had you written before, if there is? Uh, so uh, there was two at York. So yeah. there was one called A Murder. Just <laughs> <laughs> <was> so bad! <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really awful. It was about two people that met on a plane. And they had an affair. And then it was September the 11th. I mean, it was, like, really <laughs> bad. It was bad. Um, wow. Yeah, and then there was Flowerless. Yeah. Then there was Lay Down Your Cross. Yeah. Then, I think, there was a draft of One Day When We Were Young knocking right. about in there somewhere. Yeah. Which was a high uh, time play, is that right? No. Uh, One Day When We Were drunk. Young was the Payne's Plough, sorry. Very was good. The, oh, yeah, oh for, God. For when they first did the roundabout. That's uh, the most beautiful oh. scene. Oh. I remember that because you... You worked on it in when we worked together in Barcelona at a workshop in Barcelona. Is that right? In 2010. Yeah. So that's a uh, a story was... set in the 40s. It's it? yeah. There's it's sort of three scenes. Yeah. The first one, yeah, is during World War Two. Yeah. The middle one is the 60s, I think, and then right. the last one is present day ish yeah. Luton. Great. It's uh, a beautiful triptych. Yeah. Didn't didn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> but there was sort of like the fir the first scene I quite liked and the second one I quite liked. But there was sort it was a really interesting lesson in that the the, the the third scene. So it's the same two people and they yeah. sort of have sex in the first scene and then they don't see each other again until yeah. they meet up in the sixties. Then in the third scene they're they're older, I guess in their seventies or something, and they meet up. But there was just Whoa. nothing for them to do or talk about. So it was a really <laughs> it was like a really weird scene where it was like I just hadn't figured out any story. And then I sort of put in this thing about like she had a kid and it was just like, Whoa, this is awful. Um so that was good. <laughs> The, and was that when James and George were at Payne's Park? Yeah, before? So, yeah, yeah. That, that was... So I had done, actually, God, also, probably around the same time... Come to where I'm from? Uh, I did do one of those. Yeah. Uh, no, no, not come... To, uh, it was 
pre-James and George, sorry, when Roxana Silbert was running yeah. it, and they did a Future Perfect scheme. Great. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I was on a group with Laura Neal and Dominic yeah. Mitchell, who yeah. wrote In the Flesh. Yeah. And, uh, Steve Heavey, who else was on it? Ali Muriel, anyway. And That's so great. I think I was doing... That was like a year-long attachment thing to Payne's Plough. And yep. I think, again, I was doing all that over that sort of two, three-year period where I was young writer's programme and in the bookshop and in there. And when I was doing Future Perfect, I wrote the first draft of If There Is, I think. Wow. But I had written maybe three, four plays before that. Maybe five. There right. was a BNP play in there. An ill-advised... <laughs> oof. I thought, I'm just Always. not political enough. And this is getting serious now. And someone, someone, needs to, someone needs to really stand up to these guys. And I thought, I'll definitely write a play about it. And it was awful. Uh, and there was, uh, there was home, it was like Theatre 503 did a... I think it was through the old Vic... Uh, New voices, New voices or the yeah. Kevin Spacey something, and it was in five oh three, and I submitted it for that. And God, it was dreadful. But it, it didn't. Thankfully, it didn't win or get anywhere. <laughs> but it, I guess sort of useful in that you figure out what you really can't do and what you're not good at. And yeah. I was like, it, great. I, I'm I'm glad I figured out. I feel really strongly about all that stuff. But I, I but I should never write a play about it. It's just. I'm, I was going to ask you what kind of things you if if this kind of like makeshift kind of assemblage of different mm. experiences was a kind of apprenticeship of sort, sorts. What do you think you mainly got from it? What, what did you kind of learn from it? Um, well, <clears throat> there's all the practical stuff, being yeah. in rehearsal, meeting actors, being right. in... I've forgotten. <laughs> so I haven't done a play for a while, I'm suddenly blanking on what it's called. <laughs> Stage I, I really picked up all the tips. <laughs> Production meetings. Yeah, that's what I mean. Going I've to never those. been to a production meeting. Have you I'm not? In all my career, I've never I been to a production meeting. I bloody love them. Do you? Uh, I do. I, I, the directors I normally tell me not to bother. Oh, you got, no, they're great. <laughs> they're really. I like meeting a designer. I, I, I found invaluable. Yeah, that's I was like, great. Oh right, you're gonna. So in if there is, there was a scene where a young girl had to get into a bathtub full of water. Yeah. And and every uh, the bush when the bush was still above uh, O'Neill's, so yeah. tiny space. They yeah. had to get a bath in there, fill it, or it had to, you know. So I learned through my attending the production meetings. Yeah. It was going to have to be filled before the show because obviously they can't strike a, or bring on a bath or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, and I found all that really interesting because yeah. I, I didn't know anything about plays or how they worked or how you got stuff on stage, and I think I just thought. Well, I didn't think anything, so I just wrote a scene in a kitchen yeah. and then a scene in a bathroom yeah. and then a scene in a hospital. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but why are you stopping the play to do some business? And they were like, well, we've got to get a soaking wet woman out of a bath and dry her so she can be in the next scene. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, well, that's really boring. What, are we going to have to watch that? <laughs> I think they were like, well, no, obviously we're going to do some like, amazing bit of stagecraft to cover your shoddy writing. <laughs> But I so 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 that stuff in all seriousness. By the time yeah. I by the time I got to and you mentioned the gate actually mm. that was so I did they, uh, interior never happened but I did a version of Electra uh, with Carrie Cracknell directing. Yeah, I remember that. before I think just before Constellations or just before the commission. Yeah. And so the three or four plays I'd done before that, if there is, I think Wanderlust and then yeah, what's it? Uh, One day we were young. They had yeah. lots of stuff and they were. Yeah. Uh, almost like TV in mm -hmm. how the scenes were structured. They didn't mm. really feel like plays. And I was sort of wrestling with, like, why don't these feel satisfying? I'm having mm -hmm. to watch people carry on furniture 
and pretend they're not doing that. And mm -hmm. I found that really baffling. And like, you don't go to the cinema and you watch the film and then the film stops while they like reload the reel. <laughs> and they sort of take, I was like, why is, the, why is the medium acknowledging it can't deliver? Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, it's, it, but then I was like, oh, I get it. It's because I haven't used the form properly. It's because I haven't considered that if I want an actor to end a scene, I don't know, in a in Wanderlust where there was quite a lot of sex and so yeah. people would get undressed yeah. and then they'd have to get dressed in a matter of seconds mm. and I sort of learned the horror of the quick change and all that stuff. Right, and right, right. Like, oh my God. Anyway, long way of saying, so then when I got to Electra and there's just nothing and yeah. I read, and I'd never really read any Greek stuff so mm. I read loads. I was like, oh, I see, they just do it by coming on and going, well, here we are. And some bad shit's gone down. <laughs> the family are killing each other. Bloody hell. Um, that's really bad. And here comes the really fucked up daughter. And you, and so she's going to do some talking to you now. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't. Yeah. And so then with Constellations, I was like, okay, how can I... How can I tell the story in a way that can only be a play? Great. Like if you if you tried to film it or you sort of just tried to reformat it in final draft, like how would it really fuck all that up? And I'm not saying it worked or didn't, but that was that 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 to go back to your question, I guess, was the big thing I learned was yeah. I, I, I I felt I wanted to take responsibility for the production side of things. And and, and and not to kind of try and pseudo problem solve for a designer, yeah. but to go, I want you to resp respond creatively to what I've written, rather than going, how do we get the fucking bath on? Which I found funny but boring. And, yeah. I, and I thought, I don't really remember thinking, my dream is to get into theatre so I can figure out how to get furniture on and off stage. Uh, and so then I, yeah, more and more I got quite into like if you can do it with very little, why not give it a try? And it re and it sort of released. I want. I I want know, yeah. No, no, sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I don't want to slide too quickly oh. over if there is, oh. just because I loved it. Oh. And while I understand about the kind of dramaturgical problems of an overly cumbersome design, mm. I am interested in the writing of it. Did it feel when you were you talk about writing it in the uh, or starting it in the year of uh, the Payne's Plow yeah. uh, residency, the Future Perfect yeah. group. Um, what was your process with writing it? Do you remember? Do you remember what you started with, or or, or how you wrote it? <clears throat> sort of, not entirely. In truth, mm. I remember reading uh, "Heat" by George Monbiot. Okay. Do you remember that book? I'm lying. Is that I'm I'm, I'm mean, nodding. <laughs> To encourage I'm lying. You. I'm fat. Lying. Yeah, he's lying. I've never heard of it. Totally never heard of it. It was. But I've heard of him. Yeah. Okay, I believe great. you that it exists. Great. As a book. It, de it definitely exists as a book. I definitely read it. And yeah. well, if you know his stuff, you can imagine what it was like. And it was. And then there was another book. I'm not going to remember the author. Mm. Author awfully, which is called High Tide, I think. Right. Okay. Or Rising Tide. Okay. Um, and they were in back, uh, about. This was probably yeah, 2006, 2007-ish. Yeah. And was like, climate change is coming, it's real. Bit weird, we're not really doing anything about it. We should probably be quite worried uh, because of this, this, this and this. Mm. And in Heat, George Monbiot went through sort of each bit of your kind of day-to-day -day life and where we're probably having a big impact on climate. Mm. And so it was like all the usual suspects that are now like, mm. people are probably sick of hearing about. And I thought, oh, okay, how do I write a play about that? And I think only because... So I was saying I'd had to really revise for exams and stuff. My mm. only sense of how you find out about something 
was to read about it or meet people who have written the stuff you're reading. So I wrote to George Monbiot. He didn't respond. <laughs> whatever. Um, and then I wrote to the guy who, awfully, his name I can't remember, who wrote High Tide. I'm probably not even getting the title right. That's it right. marks somebody. Okay. How do you do footnotes on a podcast? <laughs> um, we have got a way of doing, we've got great, a way of doing footnotes great. on the podcast. Please. Don't worry. It's okay, going to be, great. it's really exciting. And it's special for season two. Okay, good. It's, good, it's really great. good. So at this point, you can cut to, uh, yeah, so I emailed him. I think, and then I met up with him and I chatted to him. Mm. Um, and, I, and so the character in the play, the, the sort of one of the characters, well, you said one of the brothers, mm. he, he ended up being a guy writing a book because right. I'd met yeah. people who were writing books. Yes. And I thought, I, I guess I'll just write about one of them. Yeah. And I was really struck that I just thought, how do they live with this knowledge that everything is fucked? And no one wants to do anything. Mm. No one from day to day. Mm. People don't want to do anything. And mm. seemingly on a kind of larger scale, politically or internationally, no one wants to do anything. And oh, that's right. And they'd both dedicated their books to their kids. And I and I found and I thought, God, that's. I found that really did, sort of sad and and like upsetting. Yeah. Because, because they, the kids were the people they knew to be more doomed than yeah, they were. Yeah, than they, yeah. And the, the dedication is a, an apology of sorts. I think so, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, it seems almost twee now, looking back on those books. I mean, they weren't scaremongering enough at all. They yeah. were sort of like, right. well, you know, sea levels might rise a bit. <laughs> um, so yeah so I just put those I put a sort of amalgam of a few three I mean not very many at all three or four people into the character in the play who's writing a book Yeah. and so I and then the character that Rafe Spall played yeah. who was the brother of that guy yeah. was basically people I'd grown up with and who when I was sort of 12 and they were drinking I thought were the coolest people mm-hmm. so I just put him in the play great um but I really didn't know what I was doing, so I, 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 I don't know how to explain why it is the way it's it is. It's really fascinating but, hearing you mm. talk about that, especially because of what you said about your BMP play. Mm. Because both plays started out with yeah. a political feeling yeah. and a, a sense of anger or worry. One ended up being a play that's produced internationally throughout the world two phrases which mean exactly the same thing <laughs> <laughs> and, and one didn't make the top 10 of a, of a, of a kind of shortlist competition well I mean it might have made the top 10 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hold on <laughs> we don't know but, that but for what, sure what, yeah. do, could you identify why one worked and one didn't I think yeah probably because the problem with the BNP play was that I was and so with that I, di- I did more research and so similarly met people on both sides yeah. right and left and read lots of things and, but I hadn't I, I didn't distill it I don't think so characters would just monologue about Great. this or about that um, in a way that somehow I mm. think if there is accidentally managed to avoid feeling like me going climate change is really serious we should all yeah. really think about it yeah. because I think the, the sort of relationship that ended up taking over the play again, sort of accidentally was yeah. I, the sort of one of the of the guy's daughter and the brother and that Ray Spall yeah. played yeah. and they ended up having loads of scenes and all that stuff is basically ripped off from um, You Can Count On Me Count On Me yeah, yeah. the, the, the character Ray played is called Terry which is the same 
and he has a monologue where he's drunk and he comes into her bedroom, which yeah. is the exact scene. And you said that me. to me before oh, about that play uh, because we've we've had uh, uh, we have a mutual love of that film. Mm. It's one of my favourite of yeah, all films. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and said it in similar terms of kind of like apology for theft, <laughs> but it never feels like that because hmm. I've watched the play subsequent to hearing that, mm. and it doesn't feel like that. It might feel infused, but with an affection yeah. for, inspired yeah. by. But I think you bring a lot of yourself to that play in a way that oh, I good. think is. Uh, I really, I'm, I'm going to stop fanboying now because it's just embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> what? Um, tell me about your relationship with the Royal Court as a mm. writer in the Young Writers Program and having Wanderlust here. Mm. Uh, and then moving on to Constellations. Is this a theatre that is... I mean, it's the Royal Court Playwrights Playwright Podcast, yeah. so you, there's only really one way you can answer this question. Well, let's because see. I was going to ask you, is this a theatre that has a particular... you have a particular relationship with, and what is that relationship, if it is? As in... Uh, well, like, do you what, like it? Do you do hate I, it? I see, yeah, Does it yeah. inspire you as a writer? Yeah, does. It does it frustrate you? I, I, I came really late, so I... The first thing I saw was upstairs um, Meredith Oak's play I hope I'm getting that right the Ramin yeah. Gray did yeah. scenes from the back of beyond yeah very well yeah. remembered yeah yeah that well took a done. lot that <laughs> took a lot that <laughs> took a lot yeah was, and uh, and I, don't, I as I say I'd, I'd seen a bit of Glyn Maxwell mm. and when I was doing the MA at Central they took us to a few things mm. so I saw Blasted at the Barbican, you'll probably know no, who yeah. did. I think it was Ostermeyer. Ostermeyer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which had a sort of anyway. So mm. I, but I, I, I loved upstairs. I just yeah. loved that space, mm. and I, uh, and probably because I maybe, although I don't know, thought back to that Glyn Maxwell thing, which uh, the hen and chickens in my head is sort of similar size to upstairs. Yeah, I think it is. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I just I don't I think lots of the plays that I'd read when I was a student were f were from here so mm. Martin Crimp and Carol Churchill yeah um, yeah but I can't and then when I was doing the Young Writers Program yeah I just really loved it and loved meeting other writers and being around writers and off the back of one of those groups I was offered an attachment for a month. Yeah, it was when Dominic Cook was artistic director and Ruth Little was literary manager. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant so, Ruth Little. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So yeah. my main sort of port of call for that attachment was Ruth. Great. And she said, pick a month, any month you like. So this was sort of at the start of the year. Mm -hmm. And then you can do what you want. We'll give you a room and like, we'll pay you, I think. Great. So it was maybe the first time I'd earned money. I think that's right. And so, yeah, they gave me a little room. And and I again I, I didn't really know what writers do how they so I came every day at ten and sort of treated it like a normal job and mm. I took a month off from the bookshop so it's sort of sabbatical great yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and brought brought my lunch and I sat in one of those cells are they still called in the site right? in the site across yeah. The, yeah sat there I my, wrote Wastwater in one of those you? I loved working there yeah it was and great and I loved that ten till five yeah 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 kind of working yeah. day I think yeah. it's really important. Yeah. I yeah. really did it, and really, as in, I, I really actually sat there and did it. I don't mean yeah. like I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I went there and I sat there and I wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the whole month. Yeah, and it was great, and I really enjoyed the structure, as in the working day structure. Yeah, yeah. And I, and so I wrote Wanderlust yeah. on that on that four week. So I so I chose I think August or something, because I then spent the the sort of um, 
preceding months doing all the research and stuff so mm. that because I thought when I get in that room I want to just write I don't want to be stuck or having to think about other things or checking or phoning mm. people or whatever I, I don't know Wanderlust I know it's an embarrassing moment in oh. this podcast where I reveal my lack of research That's awkward, <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> but it's a play about shagging yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and much to my part of the learning curve of the practicalities of theatre <laughs> and learning about how you fake a blowjob and how right, yeah good. yeah that's quite a useful skill well I just felt a bit it all felt a bit as in it didn't all feel before I say what I'm about to say I felt weird because I hadn't imagined like the bathtub I just assumed there was a bit of theatre magic somehow that, that sex scenes right. worked and then yeah. I was like oh no you have to sit in a room and watch people pretend to do it again and again and again <laughs> Uh, it was Stuart Macquarie and Sean Brooke. Great. As, yeah, colleagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were. And the whole cast was great. Pippa Haywood played the main mm. uh, character in it. She was great. Charles Edwards was in it, right. who I recently saw in Australia, My Fair Lady, being fucking brilliant. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, it was about sex. And I think it, it probably a bit like you were saying about the sort of BNP thing and. It started from a slightly more political, maybe with a small P place, mm. in that I was trying to write about pornography. Right. And then again, I just found I was writing, I was giving characters shit to say about yeah. pornography, like, porn is well bad, and it's like <laughs> really damaging me, because, and it was, so I sort of tried to just embed it in the... But I'm not sure it worked, but right. that was the attempt. So so there was a sort of teen... A, a, teenage some teenage characters in it a couple whose entire attempt to have sex was that their, their sort of main resource was porn right uh, so they they thought they were supposed to just like do it doggy style or do right, whatever right, because right. that's all they'd ever that's seen, what they'd seen yeah. and, and he was expecting that like a vagina would be hairless yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. horrified when he blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. pretty radical stuff for the royal court upstairs <laughs> don't mind telling you pretty radical Get <laughs> um, but I had I had a really good time on it and the cast were amazing yeah but I can Thanks. compensate for having not seen Wanderlust mm. or read it by really blowing smoke up your ass about constellations. Okay, Tell me about the writing of that mm. play. That was so. That was com yeah commissioned here for upstairs. And Dominic, uh, Dominic Cook said after Wanderlust, uh, would you write? You know, could you write another play? But why don't you have a think about how you make it? Uh, sort of really work in this room, as in upstairs, like how it, you know, really think of this room, I think yeah. was what he said, or something like that, you know. And he was, I think, trying to, and he succeeded in do getting me to think about it, definitely free me from sets and beds and Great. chairs and, Great. Uh, you know, scenes in restaurants and all that stuff. Yeah. And at that point, I was, yeah, as I was saying, a bit earlier I was ready to ditch furniture and had had enough with furniture and mm. all, and location and all mm. that stuff um, and I mean the play started as a play about bees and about beekeeping mm. uh, and I met a beekeeper <laughs> and he showed me his hives <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time you've heard that. <laughs> he was, and he had, yeah, his hives were tip top. Uh, <laughs> why did? Why were you interested in beekeeping? 
it came from the kind of environmental thing. So I was still still on the kind yep. of... Uh, and so I'd watched, you know... It's almost like that's something that means something to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that fucking environmental. Whatever. Just get over it. It's sad, isn't it? They're dying. So I read... Uh, no, I, there was a great documentary, I think, called The Vanishing of the Bees. Right. Van- uh, yeah, again, maybe we can footnote. It was released here by the co-op, weirdly. Uh, but wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, for some reason, I wanted to find out where the bees were really dying because most of the documentary was set in America where because they, they're, they're sort of methods of... Um, Honey farming? What's yeah. it called? Getting the honey from the bees was so big and intense. What is right. it called? I, uh, I, I can't remember. I'm bee blanking. farming. Yeah. Apiary. Producer Emily makes a rare appearance. In the yes. Podcast. Come on. <laughs> uh, and anyway, yeah, so I, I contacted a beekeeper called Steve Benbow, who ran the London Honey Company, and said, is it true bees are dying? <laughs> That seems really sad. Like, how's business? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was really interesting because he said, well, they, here, the, the pictures are quite different. This is years ago, I should say. It's yeah. like 2000, and I think it is now quite bad, 2011 or 10 or something like that. Anyway, and so I met him and followed him around, and he had hives on the top of the Tate at the time and hives on uh, the roof of Fortnum and Mason, so I went up on those roofs, wow. and he, yeah, did got all the... I oh, fuck, I can't remember what any of it was called. No, don't worry. You know, the like sheets of yeah, honeycomb. Yeah, yeah. But he he didn't wear any of the gear because he was he he was like it's. <laughs> what did I? Uh, went to a strange place in my head there because he um <laughs> he, he was like I was gonna say because he he like wanted the feel of the bees on him but that makes him sound weird and that isn't that isn't what I meant. No. Um, but then, anyway, I thought, well, how the fuck am I going to write a play about bees? It's the royal court. Come on. You can't... I can't submit a play about a beekeeper. How are you going to do bees on stage? Are they going to mine bees? Is he going to... Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get a, high, a real hive on and fill it with bees. And I didn't want to go through all the practical stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so I parked that. And then just by chance, I, yeah, I watched the documentary uh, called The Elegant Universe by Brian Green um, on the internet... And it was about sort of contemporary theoretical physics. It was a three-part thing. It's really good. He's got a book of the same name. I'd recommend it. All his books, really great. Uh, and in truth, you know, you mentioned Art of Dying earlier, which is about the death of my dad. Mm. It was the Christmas that he died. So it was, as in it was the first Christmas without him. And I watched this documentary, and when it sort of got to the multiverse bit, and it was like there's infinite... F- Variants or versions of us. I just, I, I found that really moving. I was just so ready to hear something like that. I think, mm. and so I thought, okay, great. That seems so like something I'd like to write about. Like, how do I write the most wondrous play about death? Mm. Uh, so, and I like the formal potential. In that, I thought, okay, you can do it with nothing somehow because the structure can do all the heavy lifting in terms of theme or ideas. So I won't have to write monologues where people go, death's sad, isn't it? Or like, science is complicated. Although there is a bit of that in there. (laughs) Um, And then I read, fuck, another thing. I think by Alan Lightman. Do you know him who wrote Einstein's... Einstein's Dreams? Something like that. And he said that 
bees and honeycombs are a kind of miraculous thing that they make this beautiful shape. It has no, I'm misremembering this, but it was something like, it has no purpose that the, the honeycomb is shaped like a honeycomb mm. in, in the sheets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then I just sort of smashed those two loose ends together, the, yeah. the multiverse stuff, and I went and met a bunch of physicists and blah, 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 and talked to them, and they were really amazing. Uh, and I just put them in the same play, and I think partly on instinct, I don't really know why, but I liked that the bee stuff was like tiny about the the kind of smallest bit of an ecosystem and when i went to meet a bunch of cosmologists at um uh, at sussex university they talked about like this one bit of the galaxy they studied and it seemed weirdly analogous i i i assumed like oh you don't you study the whole galaxy mm-hmm. like, no, no 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 i just do this tiny bit I was like, oh, right, okay, that's like the bee guy, sort of. So anyway, so I put them in the same play. And I think the other thing, the form came about because having spent, having had a few plays produced and been in rehearsal, I was just struck that rehearsal was always my favourite bit. Mm. Always, always. Mm. And it was because there was nothing, you you very rarely had full sets in the room. You had Mm. very little. Mm. And I liked that actors just did it again and again and again and again. So I just made the process of rehearsal the form of the play because I thought, well, that seems to be what actors really like. They like running a bit and going, oh, fuck, can I, sorry, can I go back and do that again? And then they do it again. And so I just thought, I'll just make that the play then. And they get to do it again and again and again. Um, Yeah, and, and I guess there was also the death thing. But obviously I didn't, that wasn't like on the poster. (laughs) Mm. Um, in that I thought uh, how do I find an idea that is counter to infinity and probably because of my dad had just died I Mm. thought well death seems to me incredibly finite I mean uh, it just it's it and it sort of comes upon you and so again I tried to sort of smash those two ideas together so the play feels like it's sort of kaleidoscopic and anything can happen but um like old Schrodinger's doodah, cat, yeah, yeah, cat in the box. When you observe it, all the possibilities collapse. Is that right? Yeah. uh, Yeah. So the play does that, basically. Brilliant. Yeah. Or it tries to. Yeah, it's right, yeah. Yeah. Watching you talk about your work and talk about your work in life, you've got kind of instinct for (laughs) self-deprecation that is completely charming and very (laughs) English. And makes me wonder how you dealt with the success of Constellations hmm. as an artist, as a writer. Yeah. Did it affect you as a writer? Not necessarily how you, how you dealt with it as a human, yeah. but how, you know, because it went to Broadway, yeah. it, went, it went to the West End. Yeah. It's a huge play that's been received with great love. How was it? How how was it to deal with as an artist mm. in terms of so much of your writing has been about fucking up a little bit with the last play and so it makes you deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah how's yeah, it been? Yeah. As a, you know, I think. I really loved when it went to the West End Mm. um, in that loads of people saw it Mm. and I really loved that and I really enjoyed sneaking in and sitting at the back of the like upper circle or whatever and I thought oh right there's people on dates and there's like people who have just got a ticket from the booth in Leicester Square because it was reduced and I Mm. I thought oh I really like this bit of it. I must admit, I think it's only now that I'm starting to really um, get worried that... 
Like I, the player right after Incognito and then Elegy, they they were so yeah. they're so kind of linked to the yeah. ideas and constellations. Yeah. And it was like I couldn't shake them off, and right. and uh, I'd only skimmed the surface, and so I want to, I, I really wanted to keep writing about that stuff. And now at the moment, I I just worry that I'm repeating myself, and 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 there are literally I very deliberately put the same lines of dialogue in all three plays. Yeah. For, which is a stupid thing, as in it's it's for me. It's not. I don't expect anyone to know or be interested in that. But it's it, stupid it was thing a at sort all. of. I couldn't quite shake off. Yeah, some of the stuff in the play. But anyway, so na- but at the time, I know. I mean, going to New York and all that stuff was just fucking amazing. And you, t- I, I mean, oh, I loved it. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I mean, what? Um, yeah. But that's. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite. It's quite scary there, and it's. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I had no idea how it was going to go down, and um, but I, I'm not. You know, I've met authors, not necessarily playwrights actually, but novelists who, when they're like novel is a smash, yeah. they sort of maybe start to resent the success of that. Yeah. Because they want to get out from under it. And yeah. I I don't feel that at all. I yeah. feel really lucky and I'm really glad that lots of people got to see it and it's been done in lots of different languages. You know, it's not in Tokyo, it's and they sent me production shots of it. And it was in a, f- a huge fucking theatre, and all they had on stage was a hamster in a in a wheel, uh, blown up as in it was um, being filmed and blown up behind them on a huge screen. So these wow. two tiny actors, and then on this huge screen was the hamster in the wheel. That's beautiful. Um, and my, I think I said, why have they got the hamster in the wheel? Can we just find out what that is? And they sent a really nice sort of letter explaining it, and apparently it was just the hamster that runs the multiverse. <laughs> and I just thought that's fucking great. <laughs> that is that is really great. And that and so that yeah, I, I was like, of, oh, of course it is. I'm sorry, it's the, I'm so sorry. Of course, it's the hamster that runs the multiverse. Great. I want I want to talk to you about a couple of directors who you've worked with oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. several times. Yeah. Joe C. Rourke yeah. and Michael Longhurst. Mm. Uh, and Carrie Cracknell. And Carrie Cracknell, yeah. yeah, of course. Electra and oh, Blurred Lines oh, and Interior. Hell, and we did a oh short film. Lord. Yeah. Do you enjoy returning to directors? And what does, yeah, I do, what does yeah. the. I feel embarrassed about Carrie because I've worked with her as well. Oh, and yeah, Blurred Lines was so those, fucking yeah. great. Yeah. And, the, the, um, uh, and what yeah, do you great. enjoy about the returning relationship? And what do those three artists bring to you mm. that's different to one another? It's nice when you work with someone again and you, you don't have that sort of like first sort of first date anxiety where you work with someone for the first time and you think I mean basically you're thinking are they going to do a good job and that has nothing to do with them that's all in my case it's just me worrying like oh god are they going to fuck it up are they going to but no I mean Mike was you know I I, I have no doubt that a a lot of the reason Constellations was sort of kept going and had a long life was that production was fucking amazing and Tom and Mike Tom Scott sorry Lee Curran yeah. Si- uh, Simon who did the sound David McSeveny Simon who did the music sorry and David who did the sound yeah. and Lucy who did the kind of movement and um, I'm going to forget other people but um, no. you know uh, it like it was that production that kept that, that had the life if you see what I mean like it was the same team um, mm. that went to New York and anyway why was I saying that oh yes so that I'd lo- I'd love to work with Mike again mm. he he's directed the Heart of Dying but we haven't done a sort of proper play right. since but it's but it's it's great like also 
obviously I have absolutely nothing to do with it, but for some reason I go and see the stuff he directs. Yeah. And ha- have a weird like I really love it. Like I saw Amadeus and I just thought extraordinary, it was wasn't fucking it? great. And yeah. your show, of course, at the Almeida oh, that he did watching, was amazing. Yeah. I just saw Gloria, and it's that that is a really nice feeling to feel like you do have. I don't know, relationships with people in the same profession. Anyway, to a degree, I mean. we're fighting the same battle. Yeah, well. yeah, so yeah. So when they fight yeah. brilliantly in one corner, we yeah. can enjoy and relish yeah. it. I want to yeah. talk to you a yeah, little sorry. bit. It would see, it'd be uh, negligent to not talk to you about the art of death, having just read it, literally read it today, but also it seems to speak of themes that recur in your work to mm. a degree. And mm. There's part of me thinking about if there is... Mm. I kind of wonder if the reason it really worked as opposed to the BMP play is it's fundamentally a play about death, mm. but it's a play about how, how the fucking human race dies, yeah. and how yeah. we live when we know that we die. Yeah. Uh, the Art of Dying was a monologue you wrote which counterpointed the death of Richard Feynman, the f- theoretical physicist's yeah. wife His with the death wife, of your yeah. dad, and then yeah. the story of a woman uh, from Milton oh, Keynes yes, who yes, goes yes. to Switzerland yes. for... Uh, oh, yeah. uh, to, to you know, to to die have an assisted death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you performed that yourself. Tell me about the writing and the performance of it. Why you were drawn to do that, and what what the performance of it was like. Mm. <laughs> the performance was weird, um, but I, I actually part of the reason for wanting to do it or try, you know, try and do it, sort of quote unquote properly, like upstairs and I have to learn it and it's like going to be with a real audience and all that because I thought well I work with actors all the time but I have no idea what they do really I I, like I don't know what the process is you know rehearsal for me is just fucking fun but (laughs) I but I don't have to do anything other than just keep an eye on the narrative or the whatever but they have to learn it and they have to fucking do it and then they have to do it for ages over and over again. <laughs> I don't do that. I go like, I might see a couple of previews and then you yeah. go to the opening night and you feel great on an opening night, whatever, and then you bugger off. And then you pop in occasionally and you see them and you go, how are you doing? <laughs> and they're like, well, we're fucking doing this. What are you doing? Um, but anyway, so I was really interested to do it myself and to really know. So yeah, I, I, I got fucking nervous. I hated waiting in the dressing room beforehand on my own. I mean, maybe I wouldn't. And it made me think, I'm not sure I'd write a monologue for an actor. Mm. To, not, definitely not for me, but for an actor. Because I thought, oh, it's quite boring, actually, in yeah. truth, was slightly the experience. I, I got, you have to get here an hour and a half before that. I was like, why? What do I have to do? Like, it was just so you don't, I don't know what. Why do that? Does it show how much I learned? I don't know. No. In case transport In case LA, yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Well, I was... Yeah, so you'd come here an hour before. And, and, and actually, to be fair, I, I had to... Because I struggled to learn it, I, I ran it every night before the show right. with Heidi, the stage manager. She I just sat in there and sort of rattled through it and she'd yeah. come me and blah, blah, So that bit of it I found really interesting to get a sense of what performances and, like, there, were, there was one night where a woman fainted and we stopped the show, obviously, and... and other nights, like you could hear people crying, yeah. and I was—I just never to sort of really feel an audience in a way that often when I you see the audience when you're performing. <laughs> Mike put the <laughs> put the lights pretty dark because he was like, I don't think people really want to sort of feel self-conscious right, okay. if they get upset. Yeah. I don't think they want to know that they're being. That they that they can see each other and that you can see them. But yeah, yeah I could see them. Yeah, particularly the front two rows, I could yeah. see. 
um, and I was kind of trying to do some make eye make eye contact yeah. acting. Apparently, yeah. I couldn't just mumble it into my chest. Yeah. Um, and what and, the writing yeah. of it? I mean, it's such an extraordinarily brave bit of writing. I th- I, I wrote it so quickly that I yeah. really didn't think about it. Right. So it started as uh, open court when Vicky took yeah. over in that sort of fe- summer festival that she did. And it was, and I think there were themed weeks. I hope mm-hmm. I'm remembering this right. That's yeah, right. is that right? Are, so, yeah. And I was in the death week uh, yeah. with Viv Fransman, and I just thought I don't really know what to do other than to try and write about it honestly. Although I guess because I surround it with another story, one that's fiction and one that's fact, but I fictionalised. Maybe it wasn't quite as honest as I thought it was. I don't know. Mm. But um, and, and and I just wanted it to feel like. A conversation, and I was just talking to you or to whoever, and yeah. I could just look you in the eyes and mm. tell you this thing, and uh, and hopefully, in a way, I think that you see the reason I'm having to put another story around it is because otherwise, I'd just sit there weeping for an hour yeah. uh, and not be able to get through it. But it, it was like going to that Feynman stuff yeah. allowed me the sort of pause yeah. to be able to go back to talking about my own family. Yeah. And I found that that when my dad died, I would. You know, I, I I took like weird comfort in reading people's memoirs about their dead wives and all that stuff. And right. Read, I mean, I read endless things. Yeah. But also, I loved Fi- Richard Feynman's letter, which if which is in a book that uh, one of those letters of notes. Yeah. And it's such a yeah. beautiful letter. Uh, and he yeah. had a thing about he wasn't afraid to keep talking to his wife. And 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 I found that hugely kind of comforting. I talk, my dad died twenty years ago. I still mm. talk to him now. Mm, really, yeah. Mainly yeah. about football, yeah. <laughs> but other things. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Because I was th- my thinking was, when I was living in London and he was living in Stockport. Yeah. I'd see him twice a year. Yeah. And he'd still be present in my consciousness. Yeah. Even though I wasn't seeing him. Yeah. He's still present in my consciousness now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's less likely that I'll bump into him. Yeah. If I go back to Stockport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing, yeah, the thing I found really hard and still find really hard, in truth, is oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I find it so hard. I casually have a drink and no, make a joke on. about you, it. Yeah. Is it, the the thing I was really struck by is, and I think it's in Art of Dying, was I didn't want to forget him because that feels really cruel yeah. to just go. He's died. I don't literally see him anymore, so mm. I just have to forget him because otherwise I, f- I feel sad about it all mm. the time. But the problem was trying to remember him. I just felt I was like, "What am I doing? Yeah. Why am I?" And a lot of the initially, a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff I remembered really vividly was all the time in the hospital, yeah. because that because that was such an anomaly compared yes. to the, and it was obviously the most recent stuff. So it was really vivid, and I just found myself really struggling with that, yeah. wanting to forget but not wanting to forget, yeah. feeling like it would be doing him a disservice to just sort of cut him out of your life. I still don't really know what you do. And no, you obviously you do a funeral and you do all that, but yeah. I, d- I didn't really know what all that was about, really. No. Um, no. Yeah. It's a comp- well, it's, you articulate it very beautifully, talking about mm. it and writing about it. Mm. And I think it will sit under everything you write. Mm. And you needn't apologise about repeating that, because I think as artists, mm. we return to the wounds that haven't healed. Yeah, and yeah, try yeah. And keep, yeah. keep trying, keep worrying away at them. Tell me about your working day. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ooh, how, how much detail? Like, and whatever detail you want, <laughs> the joy is, uh, this won't be relevant to the people listening to it, but you're our last person today. So we could, you could talk for another three hours about your okay, working day. Okay, great, let's do it. Okay. 
No, you so, can't. No, no. Like, do you have an average working day? I suspect yeah, I not. Do. You do. I do. Yeah. yeah so I really that structure of being in the room here. Yeah. Uh, when Ruth Little said have an attachment, I sort of stuck to. I, I as it. So I write basically eight till one every day, and I try not to take any meetings now, and I try not to. And I mm. don't have a smartphone, so I don't get bothered very much. I try not to sort of check emails. Where do you write? Uh, at home. Got a little room at the right. back of the house. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you live with your my wife. wife? Yes. Yeah. It's just the two. Yeah. You, where is it in London? She, yes, in Peckham. In Peckham. Right. Yeah. Um, she, what does she do? She works at the Royal Court. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's, I Yikes. Yeah, she's just gone on maternity leave. So this is the first Oh, my week. gosh. Yeah. I have a feeling you're going to have a... You're going to help your whole new myth to get your next five plays from. I know. <laughs> I'm going to write the plays. It's I'm the, like, having it's kids the best, is well it's sad. The best. Yeah. It's the best thing that can happen to an artist. Is it? Do you think? I think it's the best thing. The I think that... I think, sorry, this is getting no, into no, chat no. because at the end of the day, there's the Cyril Connolly aphorism about the problem yes, of always yes, the enemy of creativity. Yes, yes. I think I've been public about this, but I think I'm not embarrassed about repeating myself. Mm. I think it's a pernicious lie. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think there's nothing that makes has made me a better writer than uh, having children. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we write about what it is to be human. Yeah. So just as considering the death of the human yeah. allows us to consider humanity. Yeah. There's no better way of understanding what it is to be human than making one and watching it grow. Mm. I think you'll get some plays out of it. I I bet I'm sure maybe I'll do my first solo record as well. <laughs> yeah. Do some songs. Yeah, uh, but that wasn't my question. My question was about your working routine. Day. Yes. So yeah, right from eight till one. Mm. Pretty much unbroken. I probably now stop at about eleven to make a coffee, but I generally just try and write for all that time. Then I have lunch. I used to go. You write. What are you writing? You writing dialogue? You writing notes? You writing plans? You writing rewrites or does it matter? Whatever, yeah. At the moment, I'm writing a telly thing, and so right. I'm just—I've been doing that almost all year. Right. And it, and so yeah, it's first draft, and then the revisions, and then yeah. all that stuff, and then on to the next episode. And mm. but I pretty much try and stick to not breaking that morning bit. You're writing a lot of telly at the moment. Uh, no, just just that that yeah. It's co- it's actually called Wanderlust, although it's it's not really an adaptation of the right. play. I just like the title. It's a, good, it's a really and good I title. Stole a couple of the characters <laughs> yeah. and put them in a different setting. It's an original TV drama, though. It is, yeah, Great. yeah. It's still about sex, actually. Great. But the main character is now a psychotherapist, so it feeds my death obsession. The sort Great. of yeah, yeah. Because I mean, psychotherapy is obsessed with death. Yeah. I mean, quite rightly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the so, uh, yeah. what do you write on physically? Were you writing on a computer? Yeah, on a laptop. Yeah. But I've re- I found that I'm taking more notes and than I ever did before. As in, I'd, I it's pretty rare that I would ever write dialogue or write scenes. I would always be on a computer. Whereas with this, because I think it's it's quite all consuming. Yeah. Um. And you don't in the, the the time I, I used to spend on the plays, doing the research and yeah. the planning and all that stuff, mm. gets quite squashed because you know it it, it it took me a year to write constellations, right? Which, as in on and off, obviously, mm-hmm. not, and that was sixty pages. Yeah, and I'm having to write six sort of sixty page uh, sc- screenplays yeah. scripts for this telly thing. Yeah, so I I just don't have the time. I have so how long is it taking you to write an episode? It takes about two to three weeks to do right. a first draft, well. and then 
and then I mean, I've you know, it's like the clock is ticking. So yeah. I get, you got about a week to do next draft. Then it sort of goes into the BBC, yeah. and then you get there, you know. So, yeah, and then Whoa. you enjoy so, that. Uh, yeah, I am. I actually quite enjoying it. Yeah. Um, and I think in the way that I really enjoyed in on Constellations and Incognito and Elegy, going mm. what makes these plays only plays. Yes, great. I'm quite enjoying what makes this TV thing only telly. Great. Like why why is it not a film? It took yeah. me a while to figure out. Yeah. I'm not sure I have. But and likewise, why why could this not be a play? Yeah, great. Uh, so I am quite. Do you, do you have any any understanding of that formal difference? Or it's, it's... I think. I think, th well, yeah, I, 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 the thing, I think, in fact, this is something you said in a workshop once, and it's really stuck with me, is that in theatre, you're in control of the time, I right. guess, the, the experience of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. On telly, you're not, as in, it has to be a BBC 56 or 8 or whatever it is, minute. Mm -hmm. So it's quite an interesting, I, I quite like the sort of, it's like, that's it, that's all you've got. Great. I'm quite enjoying that Great. that's really distinct from yeah. the play. Yeah. Um, I think, what do I, I have really gone, what is, what now is the difference between TV and film? Yeah. Really, in, mm -hmm. a, in a moment where Netflix are doing films and, they, and they're mm -hmm. on your telly and yeah. why go to the... Um, I think, although I don't quite know how to articulate this, like a film is, I would say, somewhat similar to a play yeah. in that I think it, it is, you should go to a cinema and you should be in a room and it is experiential. Like it shouldn't be telling you how to feel something, it should be making you feel it. Through Great. the sheer kind of really overwhelming, like I saw Dunkirk on the, on the fucking IMAX and it was and it's the loudest thing I'd ever seen in my life and I was like I, I get it like I really am feeling this through but you wouldn't get that on telly I don't think and and yeah and TV feels more like novels I right. think feels more like a book and particularly now with the kind of Netflix or whatever like every episode is uploaded you control how oh, you watch yeah, it when you stop when you like a book you fold your page and you put it down and you yeah might not read it for a week or you might blitz through it in a day yeah. and that and so t and so try be bearing like the viewer in mind a bit and how do i want them to watch the show and i guess it, so it's for bbc it w will be one a week so i know that's how they're going to experience it so you think about like okay i can jump time in between these episodes you can great. maybe do something yeah great yeah it's really clear mm -hmm. um i want to ask you one last question mm -hmm. which is a question that alistair mcdowell Asked me and I stole from him. Mm. Uh, the first thing you wrote, go back to Flowerless, and then the last thing which you wrote, which you can include Elegy, or if you want, you can even talk about the television version. The of stuff. What are the things you'd find in both of those things? That are the same, you mean? Yeah, uh, what, what, what do they share? What have they got in common? Mm. I think the people in them are really inarticulate. That's quite, that's quite similar. Yeah. People in Wanderlust, the telly thing, struggle to um, articulate how they're feeling, and that's sort of part of what the show is about, I think. Mm. And I think in Flowerless that was similar, and I just made it <laughs> literal, 
by having him struggle to get a cake that could rise. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I yeah I've dispensed of metaphors. Maybe I haven't. Um, wow. Are there other things that unify your work? Do you think that recur in other pieces? I think I I um, yeah. There's a thing I don't quite know how to articulate it, but I'm I'm not someone generally who can do something horrible to a character. Hmm. I, yeah, I, I almost can't do it. And so one of the things that's been hard on the telly thing is... So it's, it's a sort of relationship drama, mm. but when they cheat on each other and they have affairs and they get laid and stuff, I, I just am like, I want them to have a good time. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I, like, I think it should be fun. I don't think we should be forcing a bad time on them yeah. or judging them for doing bad things. Um and obviously the notes are like, but I, I think drama is conflict, so it'd be great if... <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, touch wood. It's, it's well, when, I get, what I get, when yeah. I think about your plays, mm. knowing the plays of yours that I do know, the notion of the possibility of kindness and the face of mortality mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seems quite rich to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that probably is true. I don't quite know enough about uh, yeah it's almost like I don't want to know too much about because uh, it is true you know you can't avoid at this point knowing that you've written about death a lot and you've written about you know it's it's. but I I, I don't you know sometimes when you do press for a play obviously I haven't really done that much but they say they might they just go what's tell us about the play what's it about and and, and I I sort of want to go, I don't know. Mm. Like, if I knew I wouldn't write it, what would be the point? I'd just sit at home and go, I fucking know that. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't need to write it. It's the problem with the BMP play. Yeah, exactly. I was like, my stance was so palpably clear. Mm. I wrote a play that just told me my stance was bloody right. And let me <laughs> tell you. Um, whereas in Constellations, or Incognito, actually, you know, mm. with a guy who has a neurological condition that means he can't remember his, his dead brain. wife. Yeah. I, half of me thinks, I really envy that, because you'd it, how amazing people you love that are dead to you are still alive. And at any moment, you could genuinely turn a corner and believe that they're going to be there. And I, and I loved that. And then obviously half of me thinks, oh, but it's awful, because you can't, he won't ever know the truth and he won't ever deal with it. And so if, so if I knew how I felt about that, sort of cut and dry, yeah, I wouldn't write the play. And similarly, all the stuff about, uh, you know, we're just the sum total of our neurons or the brain is duping us and mm. all that stuff. Again, part of me goes, yeah, great. I mean, that's good. I, I'm perfectly happy to have no free will and mm. because the illusion of free will is so good that it makes no difference to me whether I do or don't have it because yeah. I feel like I do. Yeah, so great. who cares yeah. that I don't? Yeah. Because I feel like I came here. I feel like I chose to speak to you because I wanted to, <laughs> you know. But I haven't. I yeah. whatever. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So half of me loves that. Half of me really, but also really detests it because then that you know the whole thing of like, how do you find meaning in a meaningless universe and all that? You know, all that when you really pursue that sort of reductionist stuff, I, a bit of me finds it really exciting, and a bit of me finds it really chilling and thinks, oh. That's horrible these horrible scientists just want everything to not mean anything mm. you know I, I think it's a line in constellations which i just stole from brian green when i got to meet him 
you know, and he said, I was like, oh, but what about free will, Brian? You know, how do you, where's that in your physics? And he was like, we don't need it. You know, I, I, I can write an equation and it works. It doesn't need free will. Mm. So there's no place for it. I was like, oof. And, and, <laughs> and so then you're like, oh, but Brian, do you love your kids? <laughs> like, <laughs> what's, what's love, Brian? Yeah. And he was like, well, anyway, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing badly. No. Some amazing thing he said, but... Which was something like, just because I don't know how to explain it doesn't mean I... It, it doesn't diminish my, my experiencing it. Yes. So he can love his kids and somehow still tell himself that we're a speck in a meaningless void in a vacuum that means... And, and I, So, yeah, I find that quite interesting too. But, yeah. No pain. Thank you very much indeed. No, thanks. <laughs> Or the questions, Anushka's. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so the first, I've got two footnotes. Yeah. One question and one thought. Yeah. Oh. Uh, the first footnote is that book that you mentioned was called High Tide: The Truth About Our Climate Crisis by Mark Linus. Linus. Yes. Great. Yes. <laughs> Second footnote. Fuck, I can't Vanishing of the Bees was released in 2009 by the Cooperative Supermarket. It, it was, was by the co-op. It was That's narrated so by um, Amelia Fox, and someone at wow. Channel Four said, "If you like eating, see this film." <laughs> you like eating. And there was someone in it cast as himself called Michael Pollan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, Michael Pollan. And then this is a, you have to just answer just with the title to this question. You've mentioned it so many times. What was the title of the BNP play? Oh my god. I think it was called The National. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! Yes. And then this was my reflective Singer. thought. Singer! <laughs> I love it. This was my reflective thought. Do you think your B interest pre uh, writing Constellations was actually due to Nick and Russ's superb ride on the back of a bumblebee in Honey? I shrunk Yes! Whoa! Oh my god, it all lifts up. Come on. <laughs> nice. Great, very good, yeah, very that's good. Great. Good work, Noosh. Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the shop at the theatre. Come to the theatre. Come and see the plays. We're at Sloan Square. Come along. Come and see everything. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre. It's presented by me, Simon Stevens, and produced by the remarkable Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.